0: Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. This is season two, episode nine. Holy shit, we're already nine episodes in. This is your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons, joined as always by the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. The man whose wife is most likely hotter than yours, Liam Bright.
1: Hey, girl. Hey. And you're totally right. She is uh, absolutely a catch. And I question uh, her sanity every single day because she stays with me. So,
0: <laughs> uh, no, no worries. We're right there with you, Liam. We question her sanity as well um, as I gaze upon your perfect beard. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm growing it out trying to get to text levels at, at this point. So I figured if we're going to be the bearded bastards in Claret and Blue, then, you know, my beard has to be a little bit more than, uh, you know, a, a, a number five.
0: So we're, we're we're going for some growth this winter. Bearded bastards in Claret and Blue. Name of your porn tape right there. All right. <laughs> so obviously West Ham have a great week, even though they love to give us a heart pounding result. Um, as they take on Fulham and uh, former West Ham great Scott Parker, managing that other side. West Ham get a 1-0 win, and all I, all we can all say is, finally, it was heart-pounding. They get the goal late into stoppage time, and wouldn't you know it, the West Ham way says they concede a penalty no more than two minutes after they get the goal that takes the lead. Uh, ben Harama sticks a foot in on a challenge, and wouldn't you know it, a player linked with West Ham United goes down in the box and then and their captain, what's his name? Remind me. I'm Car- always, Isn't it Car- Carney Carney? Yeah. Tom Carney. So Tom Carney goes down in the box. Of course they go to VAR of course, VAR which uh, is a proper fuck for West Ham. Every single time <laughs> we go, there ends up conceding the penalty after the ref has to be called over to look at it. Um, they line up for it. Um, a player that had been giving us all t- uh, sorts of fits all game lookman. Um, he had been looking very good, but he got a little cheeky and you don't get cheeky against the Pollock between the pipes. <laughs> the damn pole just stands there. Not even face saves the very poor penalty. Um, as he tries to chip him, uh, Fabianski's been around too much for that. So let's be hundred percent honest. West Ham escape with the win. Um, thank God it was a huge sigh of relief. Um, It wouldn't be a West Ham match unless you had to take your heart medication. So, Liam, what were your thoughts on that match? It couldn't have gone worse for us than a moment of brilliance and then back to worse. And then, wouldn't you know, we found the luck.
1: Yeah, I think anybody following me on Twitter could definitely see the peaks and valleys of my reactions throughout that game, especially the beginning uh, which I think we absolutely looked fantastic. Like the first opening minutes of that match, I was convinced we were going to trounce Fulham, like 110%. It was just like shot after shot on goal. Uh, you know, the team looked well-coordinated. Uh, you know, the what, we hit the posts. Uh, um, Ariola made some fantastic saves, being able to push the ball over the bar. Um, you know, Cresswell had a great, uh, a, uh, a great volley. I think um, Bowen did as well. I mean, it was it was just mayhem in the beginning, and then it was like all of a sudden Fulham figured out what no other team really had been able to figure out over the past month. And they just absolutely kept uh, annihilating us on those wings. I think Sufal had a, a, a very difficult time keeping up with, um, oh, what's his name, Robinson. Uh, the American that we were initially linked with, which, you know, obviously that didn't pan out for us. I think he had difficulty on that side. Uh, I think Masawaku had a little bit of difficulty on uh, on our left. Luckily, Cresswell was there to kind of clean it up. I think Cresswell, again, had a, an absolute uh, banger of a game. I think that he... he he has continued to show that he is that like third place contender for for Hammer of the Year. And he has flashes of uh his performances back in in the 2014 season. So uh I, I think that, you know, to really get to the end of the match, because a lot of that middle ground was frustratingly uh boring <laughs> because it really didn't seem like we had much of a game plan or that we were making a lot of changes. And then once you get into that second half, it was about the 60, 65th minute where Lo and behold, Moise is actually trying to make a substitution, which I'm sure all of us were sitting back scratching our heads because that has almost never happened. Uh, it's about for whatever fucking reason, time,
0: Moise! It's about fucking oh time! It,
1: it, it absolutely just... I, I thought I was in the fucking Twilight Zone. There was no way. But, you know, is sitting there for almost 10 minutes, so I'm thinking at that point, by the time he gets on, he's going to immediately pull a muscle because there's no way that he's still warmed up. Uh, but he's been sitting for so long that then they pull up Lanzini to bring on as well because they want to make both substitutions. Unfortunately, Ogbonna goes down with an injury. Uh, you know, him and uh, what's the striker's name? I, I'm Mitrovic? Yes, Mitrovic. Yeah, Mitrovic. So him and Ogbonna were in each other's faces, not mere minutes before Ogbana goes off with the injury. Uh, luckily, it doesn't seem like it was anything serious, but that makes Moyes have to change his game plan, so uh, Diop finally comes on, makes his uh, presence known since uh, the Newcastle game, comes on for Ogbonna, does does an alright job, not anything to write home about. Uh, Lanzini and Benarama come on for Fernalds and Bowen, which I think both of them actually had an impact in the game. I thought that they both did phenomenal, especially with Benarama uh, initially having a couple good drives in on goal, and then, you know, uh he makes the pass for Suchek to be able to put it in uh the back of the net. So I would say both of those substitutions were great. Uh I would have loved to have seen Ogbana not go down, of course, not just because of the injury, but also because I think Moyes was going to sub off uh Alaire. And I think pretty much you could probably have subbed in my one year old daughter and she would have made more of an impact uh, you know, up front than uh Allaire did. And uh, granted I get it, like he did help push those center backs um uh, you know, on the goal that that Suchek was able to put in. Pundits were calling for uh, him influencing the play and being off sides. I think that it is a you have a fair fifty fifty shake on that one. Uh, but I think all in all, I mean, this is a game that in seasons past, we probably lose, like not even just the draw, but we probably lose. <laughs> but uh, the soccer gods or football gods, however you want to look at it, were shining down on us. And for whatever reason, Lukman goes for the worst penalty I've ever seen. So we'll take it. Three points is three points.
0: And, and, you know, that's a good point. It's a good shout that we have to acknowledge that in the first 15 minutes of that game, we were clearly the better team. We hit the woodwork. We we absolutely should have been up 2-0 by the time they hit the 20th minute. Um, but like you said, they figured us out. And full full march to Fulham. They, they, Fulham walking away from that game, and as a West Ham fan, I ha- I'm admitting this. Fulham walking away from that game, they should feel like they got robbed. They should mm-hmm. have walked away with something from that game. Now, granted, you know, if we would have taken our chances in those first 10 minutes, I think we put that game out of reach real quickly and we walk away with a 2-3, maybe even four zero win. But what do you – this is what always happens with West Ham. When you let a bad team hang around and you don't put them away, um, they always are going to come back and they're going to make it interesting. And, you know, Fulham – they have Mitrovic. He can find a way to get a goal at any point. Tom Kearney is no slouch of a player. Uh, Lookman, uh, obviously the penalty is going to define that performance for him. But if you take that penalty away, he was causing all sorts of havoc for us. Um, overall, I think West Ham United are lucky to get a point. I mean, excuse me, to get all three points. I'm glad that we did. I'm not, I'm not but we very clearly are a different team without Mikel Antonio. And you are 100% correct. In the past, West Ham United lose that game. And not only do they lose that game, they lose it in soul-crushing fashion where we never get the goal and we concede that penalty and they nail it and we go down 1-0. So yep. there's something different happening right now. Luck, see, The pendulum of luck seems to be swinging in our direction for once. I know it's like it's like Haley's Comet. It's like once every 76 years this shit happens. And I get it. But overall, this performance, um, there's more questions than answers that we found. It's very clear that David Moyes ran out a Sebastian Holaire. To try and and see if he could do it, he even said it in the pregame. You know, he's a good player. You know, we are going to give him. We spent forty five million on him. I think it's a calculated move by um, David Moyes. I think you drop a line like you you know he's a transfer record player. You say these things because you want the player to hear them to let him understand. Not only do we believe in you, but we've invested in you. It's a it's kind of like one of those things. It's like in those really great thriller movies where they say something and you know it's a little bit of a threat. Yeah. Oh <laughs> you know, yeah. This is just a situation that I think that, that uh, David Moyes is playing chess here, and he's setting it up to make a case to the board when January comes around what they need to do with a player like Sebastian Aulaire. Um One thing that I, I want to ask you about that performance before we move on from it is how shocked were you? And I know that we've mentioned it, but if the ball goes out, David Moyes, it looks like finally he's understanding that when things aren't working, you got to put guys in. And he was going to make a I – mean, as shocking as it is, and it's a point of of highlight for me, he was legitimately going to make a change in the 65th minute. Had that change got a chance to come on, maybe we win that game because Ben Harama, the player that was going to come on, he looked pretty dangerous in the short amount of time that he got. He looked pretty dangerous out there. Well, I mean,
1: I, I, I know you were saying – if we we might have won that game, which we did, but it kind of doesn't feel like that, right? Like, I think we keep kind of backtracking and going, hey, we were lucky to get a point out of that. And we're like, oh, wait, no, we got the win because it really felt like a like a very close match. Like, it really felt like we we robbed Fulham uh, on this match. And I, I really do think that we did because if you erase those first 15 minutes, first 10 minutes, if you will, I don't think this was a very good performance for us. I mean, this did not look like the team that trounced Wolves and Leicester just a you know a few weeks ago. Like this, this felt like this felt like the team back under Pellegrini, right? Like this felt like a team that was disorganized, didn't have the communication, didn't have the fluidity in the attack that we had seen in the Wolves match and the Leicester match. Like when we would counterattack, it was deadly every single time. I mean, you were either. We were either gonna get a goal out of it or we were at least going to, you know, put the ball on frame. And this time it just it, it felt like we were listless in the attack every single time. If it had been me on the touchline, I actually probably would have pulled off Suffol and thrown Fredericks on. Cause like I said, I think that he was struggling mightily on that right hand side. And that's not to say that I think that he's uh, now shown his true colors, I legitimately just think he had an off game. I think that he is absolutely still my starter, but I think that Fredericks would have brought not only a little bit more pace on that side to deal with Robinson, because Souffal just couldn't keep up with him in terms of speed, but I also think that he offers maybe a little bit more in the attack, even though sometimes his crosses can be erratic. I think he lumps them in uh, far more frequently than I think Sufal was able to do in this past match. Um, obviously, that was handcuffed when Ogbottom went down. Um, but I'm with you, man. Like I think that Moyes is figuring out that other teams have figured him out and that he can't just rely on other teams going like, oh, well, we're going to play our game plan and they're going to have to suit to us. When we play the lower t- lower table teams, and I-, I tweeted this out on Twitter, was when we play ga- games against teams that are typically lower than us, they will game us the way that we game top six teams. So we like to get stuck in. We like to play a little bit uh, cagey at times. But when we play these these teams like Burnley, like Fulham, you know, we've got Sheffield United this next week, we have to be prepared for those teams that are gonna come in and punch us in the mouth. And they're not afraid to get gritty, they're not afraid to get in our faces, as we saw with Mitrovic and Ogbana. And I think we need to be better prepared for that, in which case we need to have players that can come on and do that. So I would almost say you maybe what you were saying with Benarama, right, where he made an impact, maybe you start with him and then you bring on a Fornals that can be maybe a little bit more physical later on in the game because Benarama is a bit of a luxury player. And I know you're laughing because Fornals sometimes goes down like a bag of feathers, but I think that he maybe has a little bit higher work rate and I would rather see, you know, Bowen, Benarama, Antonio up top and then you sub in Fornals, Lanzini, and, you know, maybe Yarmo or something because you don't want to have Antonio run his hamstring back into the ground. But I don't know. What are your thoughts, Tex?
0: You know, I here, here's my thing. We normally lose that game. But I want to point this out. And these, these are where my thoughts come in. That's what you're supposed to do against the side you're supposed to beat. Okay? That, that's what we're supposed to do. I don't care how it ended up. We won it. I I know earlier I just said, maybe we win that game because I still feel like we were exposed a little bit in that game against an inferior side, and that's not fun because when an inferior side can do that with lesser talent, the bigger teams are going to watch that game and go, oh, not only can we do that, we can really attack them and make it look ugly. So I I want to point something out here. Let's take a look at these results that West Ham United have had. Now, I said at the beginning of the season that I think this is a top eight side. I think talent-wise, what we can put on the pitch is top eight. Say what you will, but I I really honestly believe that. If we get points out of that Newcastle game and we win that game, do you know where we're sitting in the table right now, Liam? Like I'm curious if you understand how high we are in the table in the event that we get that win against Newcastle. Imagine this
1: we're 12th right now on 11 points. Like that's,
0: that's awesome. But we would be in seventh. Yeah. If we would have picked up that win against Newcastle, we would be in seventh. And here's what's funny. We are the only team in the bottom half of the table that has a positive goal differential. We're the only one. So right there, that Newcastle game is really, really hurting us. And that's the one outlier this season because When you look at what we've done, I would tell you right now, we have a better side than Wolves. I don't care what anybody says. Wolves have overachieved for two years. Reality, I I believe in the law of the mean. The mean always finds itself. Wolves are going to come back down. They're not as talented as people want to make them out to be. But they do have some talented players. But overall, I think our squad is stronger. We win that game. The team sitting at the top of the table right now, we ran off the pitch and crushed them. Yeah. Leicester City, say what you will, they're doing a great job. Tottenham, another team in second. We probably are, are fortunate to get a point, but nonetheless, they didn't beat us. Yeah, the it's a point. The team right behind them in Liverpool, we should have gotten a point out of that. We know that. We haven't, I mean, Southampton, wow, well done. Well done, lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And fourth. Last year, we beat Chelsea twice. Aston Villa last year, we have a, a win and a draw against last season. Everton is a team we, t- we typically struggle against. Crystal Palace, we always allow them to stay in the game. But if Manchester City, we got a draw on, and we know what we did against Wolves, West Ham United are right there on the cusp of being there. So I want to ask you this question. I want to shift it because my thoughts are predicated on your answer to this question <laughs> is West Ham United. Are they finally playing to the level of the talent that we have? Are they finally doing it?
1: I think it's a, it's a yes and no answer on this one. I'll tell you why. So God I damn you such, you're such a politician.
0: I I I have, I have
1: to play both sides of the coin here. Right. So I think that, uh, I think that, yes, we are, we are showing results and we are winning games that we should win. And we are only losing games by the narrowest of margins, right? Like the, the, the Arsenal game absolutely should have been a draw. The Liverpool game absolutely been a draw. Uh, the Newcastle game we should have won. We should have won that one handedly. I think that's, that's still the outlier of this season. And I think that that changes the complexity. Like you think about that. There's not a single game we've played that we, that we were played completely off the pitch. You know, even with this Fulham game, it you know it looked ugly at times. Uh, you know, we definitely struggled, but there has not been a game other than that Newcastle game, and even that one, I still don't think we were played completely off the pitch. I just think we played shitty, and Newcastle just played less shitty than we did, and happened to get two goals. And even then, two goals isn't a huge margin to lose by. So I think that you like when you take those into consideration. Yeah, we should probably, we are probably playing to our potential with the talent that we have on the pitch, especially when we have a 45 million pound striker that sits on the bench. So, yeah, when your lead striker was actually a winger for the, for the past several seasons and at one point even a right back, like, yeah, I think we're absolutely playing to the talent we have. Caveat to this look at where some of those big six teams are on the table right now. So you look at, like, Man City in 10th, Arsenal in 11th, Man United in 14th. Like, these are teams that perennially are at the very apex of this of these standings, in which case, like, yeah, absolutely, we're pushed a little bit further down because normally we would sit lower uh, than those teams by a significant number. So I think some of this is us playing way better than we have in seasons past, but I also think that some of those typical uh, headlining teams are struggling and we are absolutely benefiting from this. What about your thoughts?
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to be a politician. I think that we are playing to our, our uh, potential here. I, I don't give a shit where those other teams lie. I look at who West Ham and have the up against, and I think that we've won the games we should have won. We've had a couple of results against teams like, look, we, we should not meet Manchester City. I'm just going to tell you, and we get a point out of that game. So right there um the one outlier is we should beat newcastle we're a better team than newcastle um we lose that game that obviously um is is a blemish on the season for us right now but outside of that you know look arsenal we sh- we were we were moments away a mistake away from getting a point out of that game Uh, We didn't, but uh, traditionally we lose to Arsenal. We lose to Manchester City. We lose to Liverpool. Um, We always play Tottenham tough. So getting a draw in that game doesn't shock me. Um, At New Shite Lane, you know, nonetheless, even better. Um, We haven't played Manchester United yet, but lately we've been playing them better over the past couple of seasons. They still own us. But the way I look at it is that when you play a top six side and you get a point out of it, you're happy because I don't I don't have these delusions of grandeur that West Ham United are on their level. I said it, we, we're a top eight side. That's what yep. we are. And I firmly believe that, you know, Leicester's squad is probably right there with West Ham's maybe a touch better, but I do think we have a better squad than Wolves, and I, I, I'm not going to yeah. be shy about that. So when I look at this, I, I'm telling you right now, West Ham are beating the teams they're supposed to beat, with the exception of Newcastle, and they're getting some favorable results right now against the top side. So I understand those lower sides aren't playing up to snuff right now. They're not playing to the standard that they have set for themselves. But West Ham are playing over that right now of what people think. But they're finally playing to the expectations that I have when I look at our squad. Right. There, there's a bunch of guys that we have playing in on our team right now that I firmly believe there's a lot of teams that would love to pick those guys up. Yep. And so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, Hey, we used to lose those games over the past three seasons. Not anymore. We're winning. The games we're supposed to win. Who gives a shit how it happens. Three points is three <laughs> points. Yep. Look, I'm not going to be the fan that boos a 1-0, a 1-0 win um, just because we don't like the way Sam Allardyce set up the team. That's a win. And right now, where we are as a team, we have to take every point we can because you know this. I can, My heart cannot take another relegation fight.
1: No. Uh, you know, I don't ever, think any of us can.
0: Ever since the last season at the bowl end, we've been fighting relegation for three straight fucking seasons. Yeah. And I'm sick of doing it. I, I want to get to the point where I want it to get into the end of the season and us be very comfortably in ninth and have a shot to move up to eighth or possibly seventh. Like, that's what I want.
1: Well, and it and it's it's not out of the realm of expectations, right? Like, when was, you know, in the last several years, like, I haven't seen Crystal Palace sit down there in the relegation zone, right? Like, we don't, you know, we saw Everton randomly for a little while, and then they changed over uh, the coaching to be able to, to, to push themselves back up again. You know, Aston Villa... Last year, you know, if they don't pull the draw against us that last game of the season, Aston Villa go down. So it's it's incredibly exciting for a team like that to be able to be in sixth place. But then for me, I look at it, and I know you were saying like you don't give a shit about these top six teams and where they're sitting, but I I look at that, and then I also look at the teams that there's no reason we shouldn't be where they are, where we shouldn't sit where they are. And yeah, I I know to some degree it is uh strength of schedule, right? Like we we played. A very difficult beginning to this season. And, but then you look at like Aston Villa, like they absolutely decimated Liverpool. So you look at a team like that, which I would say, other than Jack Grealish, not really a whole lot of talent I'm pilfering out of that team. Probably same thing with Leicester, same thing with Wolves. It, like, oddly enough, the team I'm probably going to pull players from probably be Newcastle. Like, I, I'd probably pull Callum Wilson, right? I would probably pull John Joe Shelby. Like, these are the players that I think do add something to our squad that has allowed a team like Newcastle to find some semblance of success. I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, they're, they're even on points with us sitting at 13, uh, 13th while we're at 12th because of goal differential. So I think that this is, this is a much closer run at the start of this season, so I'll be really interested to see how teams perform after the January uh, transfer window.
0: And speaking of performances, nice little segue there, Liam. Thank you, thank you. Um, there's a player that was on the pitch that, um, before the game, saw a very interesting interview um, that I spoke about just moments ago. $45 million striker, we believe that he can score, and that is Sebastian Alaire. So, last week we talked about the curious case of Pablo Fornals, and now we're going to look at what the fuck is going on <laughs> with Sebastian Alaire. <laughs> so, tell, let, let's discuss his performance in this game. Um, overall, what did you think of Sebastian Alaire's performance against Fulham? And I'm going to ask you to be nice. Okay. And I, and honestly, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't
1: shit on him as, as heavy as I normally do, because I actually do think he did a better job and it wasn't. Initially, when I watch when I when I first watched the game, initially I was like, "Oh, it's the same same shit, different week, right?" But when I went back and watched the the, the match again, I really saw that he was making a concerted effort to try to make more of an impact in this game. And I think that uh, you know he has the header uh, in, in those early minutes that goes off the post. Uh, you know, he was battling center backs, he was running for the ball, which <laughs> he never does. So I actually think that he did. Uh, a lot more in this game than he had in any matches past. The problem still with Alaire is that even when he's doing better, in my eyes, it's still not good enough. Like, I still don't feel like he does enough to really make his presence known. I think that he did a hell of a lot better at the end of last season or really at any point last season than he has at all this year. And that includes the Carabao Cup games where he had actually scored a couple of goals. I just think that this is a player that you would have to build the entire team, the entire um, uh, tactic or strategy around in order for him to be successful. He is not the type of player that can slot in and adapt his game to suit the needs of the team or the of the players around him. And unfortunately, we need players that are adaptable. We need players like Bowen, like Sufal, like Suchek, like Rice, guys that can play a multitude of positions and be impactful no matter where you put them. And Allaire just isn't that guy. He's, he's, he hasn't been that guy for us for a while now, and he has too high of a price tag to, cons- conti- to continue to weigh down not just the starting 11, but also a position on the bench. What are your thoughts, Tex?
0: Uh, first off, I don't understand. I mean, it must be because you're vegan, but I don't understand <laughs> how you can even look at that performance and find any positivity. He virtually disappears up in the front. He doesn't offer... Um, much hold-up play, and with his size, I don't know how he can't. Um, He doesn't get on the end of anything. His runs are poor. Um, You know, his attacking awareness, it's a stat in FIFA that you try to, you know, boost up. His attacking awareness has to be in the 20s. Like, it's just, he just does not fit into our system. He does not play that way. And you said it yourself. When you have to change the whole tactical approach to fit one player, That to me is not a player we need to have. The only thing Sebastian Allaire proved to me is that he is, he is, you know, he's on the island of misfit toys right now because he doesn't have anywhere that we can play him. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's a train with square wheels. You know, I, I don't understand what he's supposed to be doing out there. He doesn't offer us anything. We're not even trying to play through him when he's on the pitch. We're playing everything through Bowen, um, which is the absolute right move. And then you just hope Sebastian Haller can get a trash goal late and be a little bit of a poacher. Um, but ideally, you know, Sebastian Haller, his time, that performance proved to me that his time is up at West Ham United. Yeah. And, and I know it because... It's not. You see him on the pitch. You, you're not filled with any type of faith that you're going to get anything out of it that's going to benefit the team. And yeah. I don't understand how anybody can look at it any differently.
1: Well, it, you know? I think it's it's tough because you want to you want to hope for the best and like you see those flashes of the player that you think he could be, but you've brought this up multiple times. It's almost like going back to an ex-girlfriend, right? Like you keep thinking, oh, it's going to, we'll work it out this time. It's going to be good this time. But all the same bullshit comes back. All the same issues that you had before, they don't ever actually go away. And I think with Alaire, it's just, like you said, you said it perfectly, man, like his time's up. Like I'm tired of waiting for him to be the player that we think he can be. Because it's, he's not. He's not that player. He's—he—he. He, what he did with Frankfurt was a completely different thing because he had a system and players around him that were suited to his game plan. That's not this team, and he costs us way too much fucking money to, to be a, a non-essential player for this
0: group. I want you to know that I just convinced you that I was right yet again. Um, you know, it's maybe the
1: third time in the entire history of this show, but I'll go back and count. And there's at least 17 per episode where you admit that I'm right. So I'll give you this one for this episode. I, I, you know,
0: I'm, I'm a American football player. We have short memories. So that's right. uh, What you're saying right now doesn't make a lot of sense. I just know that in this moment, I proved my point. You agreed. <laughs> Therefore, I'm just going to let you know right now. I'll let you touch the beard when we hang out. All right? Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. It's a, uh, it's, a
1: magical, it's a magical experience, guys. You just you don't know the, the uh, absolute
0: phenomenal magnitude that is a, a Tex beard. <laughs> and speaking of magical moments... The international break was this week, and just like all West Ham fans, um, we're very upset because we have nothing to look forward to. You get our hearts racing over the weekend, but we do have two players playing international uh, right now that are of note to speak of. Just the player we're talking about, Sebastian Allaire, who no longer is playing for France, is now playing for Ivory Coast. And in his debut, what does he do, Liam?
1: He scores a goal. Not only that, but from a diving header. Which we have not really seen. So this was uh, this was a new trick out of uh, his little playbook.
0: That's called effort, and that's the <laughs> one thing that I would say he has no idea how to give. And yet he gets with the Ivory Coast and gives effort and scores a goal. Wouldn't you fucking know it? God damn it, Sebastian Allaire. So Allaire gets a goal. Uh, kudos to him. It was a beautiful goal. I did. I did watch it. I, I will shit on the guy all day, but I'm not going to take that away from him. Congratulations to him. Um, it's very interesting. Some of the comments he made after the game, uh, talking about, you know, how happy he is to be there. It almost was like he was a little thrilled to not be wearing the Claret and blue, which I think he's starting to read the writing on the wall that, He's not being raided by the manager. He obviously is a leftover from a prior regime that in this new regime has no plans for him. And I think it's, is it weird that it's kind of like the last scab of the Pellegrini era is this Sebastian Allaire and we can't pick it off because we know it doesn't heal if we do. Yeah. But, but we've got to get ready, and I think the writing's on the wall for this player, what's going to happen in January. We're going to get into that a little later, but what were your thoughts on his performance in that game and uh, the way his attitude seemed after?
1: So it's it's interesting you bring that up, right, because uh, I think other than the goal, I do the rest of the highlights that I saw, he did still seem isolated. So I think that you know, there, there is the, the random moments, right. Where he gets that good cross, you know, it was, I think it was a two on one with the defense. He goes, the diving header gets in the back of the net. Great. Right. But also you have to to weigh out the competition. I think it was like Madagascar or something. So obviously it's going to be, you know what I mean? Like it's going to be very different um, competition. You know, even though this is the international level, I mean, the the uh, men's national team for the U.S. just put six over on Panama. So, I mean, like, you do have to take in consideration uh, the opponent and also the, the lineup for that group. The thing that I found the most interesting was the celebration of the goal. Because with West Ham, he almost never celebrates. He does the stone-faced walk away you know doesn't run to the corner flag doesn't really do much doesn't try to celebrate when we did have fans in the stadium doesn't try to celebrate with the fans he just kind of is like this stone cold killer but he rejoiced i think it was the the game ended up i think it was like 2-2 or something but he rejoiced for both of ivory Coast's goal goals and i think that it kind of showed that he was maybe he has passion he has excitement just not with west ham
0: here you're making my point for for me. Let, let's <laughs> let's move on to a brighter a brighter note here. Another player with uh, big time West Ham ties scored his first international goal for the Three Lions, England. Declan Rice, formerly of Ireland, who you and I are Irish, so we're going to claim yep. that as an Irish goal, just wearing the wrong uniform. Um, That's right. But Declan Rice scores. Uh, for England and the three Lions on the international break. Uh, Nice little cheeky set piece goal, glancing header into the far corner. Absolutely beautifully done. Um, Declan, I think we have to acknowledge something real quick here. This player is going to be special on a level that I think is way bigger than West Ham United. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on Declan Rice? Not only the performance, but let's talk about just what he means right now, not just to West Ham United, but to England.
1: Oh, 100%. And I, it, it breaks my heart because he already broke my Irish heart and he's about to wait, break my Clareton Blue heart as well. Uh, I, I do think that there is bigger and better things that Declan will eventually go on to. Um, my hope is that it's not to another Premier League team. That honestly is my only hope. I hope that um, if he does go on to a big-name team, that he does end up going... Uh, you know, outside of England, like whether he goes to Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, you know, maybe over into Juventus, over in uh, the Serie A. I would love to see him play uh, for one of the, the, the bigger teams in that regard as opposed to staying in England. Now, let's be honest, being an English international, you know, being from from London as well, you know, I do feel like it'll probably be one of the big names come and calling. Chelsea still seems to, to rate him Pretty high wants to keep him on the radar. It seems like they would probably deploy him as a center back, as opposed to defensive midfielder. So uh, I don't know if he quite fits that role anymore. I think that he can absolutely play the position, but he has established himself as one of the top level defensive midfielders, not just in in England, but I think uh, you know across the world at this point. So uh, I. I just hope that we give him the pay raise, we keep him the contract, and we absolutely buff back any, uh, any offer for the lad because you take Declan Rice out of that starting 11 for West Ham, and uh, we are a completely, completely different team. And I think for England as well, without Declan Rice, I, I think that Southgate's
0: uh, starting 11 looks a little less uh, confident. Here's my thoughts on Declan's performance. He is the senior leader of that team. He's barking out instructions. He's telling people where to be. Um, I watched that game and I I smile because I'm like, that's a West Ham boy just pointing it out. And I'm never going to forget. Yes, he may have came up in the Chelsea Academy. I get that. But we're the ones that saw the potential. We're the ones that gave him the opportunity. We're the ones that believed in him. We're the ones that threw him on the pitch at 18 years old. Um, This this kid right here is going to be something special. And I think – and, man, maybe I'm looking through this um, through my Claret and glue glasses here, Liam, and maybe you need to calm down my excitement here. I don't know necessarily if he really wants to leave West Ham United. I think the one team he would leave for is Chelsea, and I think the one reason he would leave for Chelsea is because he does have a great friend over there. But I think if push comes to shove, and he has to really think about it, and we continue these winning ways at West Ham United, which I think is key to keeping him. Why is he gonna walk away from a team that is go- I mean, we're gonna build a stand after him? Like it's it's yep. gonna happen. He is on, he is on that pace right now. And you know, he's gonna be the next version of Mr. West Ham, and he's probably gonna be, you know, version 2.0, he's probably gonna be better than Mark Noble. And I love Nobles. But you know, Noble doesn't have the physical attributes this kid has, and this kid has the potential, and he's already got the right mindset, and he's got a great tutor and Mark Noble, and obviously he loves the manager, much to my chagrin, and David Moyes. But I I look at this situation with Declan Rice, and let's remember something: England doesn't win World Cups unless they have West Ham players on the team. Yeah, like like that's very true. That's it's proven fact. Yeah, it's proven. yeah, There's nothing you can argue about that, so say what you want. You you can fill it up with a bunch of your Tottenham, you know, Scheidhart Lane players, but you will always fall short. You bring in some West Ham players, and you throw in a couple of other guys, you win World Cups. That's just what it comes down to. What do we do? We win World Cups. I and- mean,
1: honestly, th- think about that England squad with Aaron Cresswell, uh, uh, you know, Declan Rice, Ryan Fredericks, Uh, Mikel Antonio, like all English players, right? You throw all those dude on there. Like I'll take Mikel Antonio over fucking Harry Kane every goddamn day of the week, every day, because Antonio brings something to the table that Harry Kane, even in his wildest wet dream, will never fucking have. And that's heart. That is honestly fucking heart. And, and it, you know, I, I I really think that with Southgate, he he kind of likes to play uh, a system that isn't a far cry from what Moyes does. So I think that these players would absolutely excel, and they already have the uh, camaraderie from playing at the club level to be able to bring that to the the you know to the English game.
0: And it is a, it is an honest shame that Mikhail Antonio is not um, a mainstay in the England squad. So speaking of squads, I think it's a time that. We're looking at this and we've outlined our results have reflected our talent level outside of that Newcastle game. I think that we've done exactly what we should do against the teams that we've been lined up against. And that is when the games are supposed to, when you play those top six sides, you try to get a point. Maybe you find luck and you get all three. But nonetheless, West Ham United have done a great job this year of winning the games they should win um, in order to improve their standing in the table. And so right now, me and Liam, we're going to kind of take an evaluation of our squad, and we're going to look at what we have. So we're going to start from the back to the front here, Liam, and we're just going to talk about um, the players of note. We don't need to go into every player, but let's start in in between the pipes here. We have Lucas Fabianski backed up by Darren Randolph. Uh, Fabianski, to me, is a top-10 goalkeeper in the Prem, and Darren Randolph is a very serviceable backup. So when I look at our goalie situation, I think we're we're very solid there. I don't think we excel. I don't think we have an Allison or an Ederson back there, but we are we are good enough in between the sticks. So what are your thoughts on the goals? On the goals? Yeah,
1: yeah no, I, I think I think you're you're 100 percent on. I think that we have a we have a great starting uh goalkeeper in Fabianski, a good back, you know, solid serviceable backup with uh, Darren Randolph. Uh, obviously when you move beyond those initial two though. Uh, I really don't think that um, we have another keeper that challenges those two. And I think ideally that's what we really need. I think we you need that third place keeper, that third string keeper that can kind of push to try to get Darren Randolph to be better, to get, you know, Randolph to push Fabianski to be get, to be better. Cause let's be honest, those guys are gonna get older, you know, just like everybody else in the team, season after season, you have to have somebody that is in the pipeline that you feel like could could really make a a, a play. For that starting position. And I just really haven't seen that. I mean, I know uh with David Martin, uh, he had an absolute phenomenal game uh in that Chelsea away last season. Uh, and nobody will ever take that away from him. I still think that's one of the most iconic uh moments of uh, you know, probably within the last several years, of him walking into the stands to give his father a hug, right? After after the game. I think that that's that that's still a huge, huge moment. Um, but I, I do think that. We we don't need a
0: replacement for Fabianski right now, but we do need more depth in the position. I, I I'm I'm not going to argue that. I think you're I think you're spot on there. Uh, let's move. Oh, so into, you'd say
1: you'd say I'm right. You'd say I'm right. right I think that. you. Okay, just, cool, cool. I think you. I think you
0: just <laughs> you know repeated what I said, but that's fine. Um, so now let's look at our defenders right now. Obviously, the the defenders of note are uh, we have Diop back there, Balbuena is another player that's been playing solid minutes this year. Ogbonna, who is probably in line for Ham of the Year with the way that he's been playing. And we're going to kind of talk about just a back three because that's the way that we've kind of been playing. So I guess my first question to you is right now, obviously you gave some players of note there. We're not going to list Aaron Cresswell because it looks like he's – Um, actually, no, we do need to list Aaron Cresswell. I'm sorry. We're not going to list Sufal and Masuwaku in this because I feel like they're more on the wingback side than they are on the defending side. So obviously you have Aaron Cresswell, Diop, Agbana, and then uh, Balbuena that have been playing significant minutes. And then they brought in um, the cover when we got in, what is his, Craig Dawson. Yeah. When When we brought in Craig Dawson. So we have the cover now. So I guess my question is, um, and I'll go first here, how do we feel? Like, you know, I think we're solid in between the pipes. I don't think we're as solid in defense. And the reason I say that is because we have one true great defender in Ogbana, and even he is good for a mistake every other game. So I don't think we're very solid back there. In fact, I would say there's more cracks than I care to admit Um, they haven't been exposed this year. I think that Lucas Fabianski is a big part of that reason, keeping them organized back there. Um, but overall defensively, I'm glad we got the cover in Craig Dawson who can put in a shift at any point. Um, he's not a player that I think we're ever going to rely on, but it's nice to know that he's there and you'd be, you're going to be happy when you need him. Um, but overall, how do you feel about the defense? Do you think there's cracks that we need to improve that area or do you feel it's pretty solid or do you think we excel there?
1: No, I I think that it's it's solid, but kind of same thing with the with the with the goalkeeper situation is I do think we need a little bit more depth, uh in in those positions because as we we were lucky that with Ogbana going down you could bring in Diop, but I don't think that if Balbuena goes down as well that you could bring in I mean even if Dawson was on the bench, uh for that game, I don't think you bring him on and, and say like oh yeah okay well this is going to be enough. Uh, to be able to get us through the game, I don't, I still don't think that's really a like for like. I think it's it's depth for depth's sake. Uh, uh, to be fair, I think we do have some some players that have shown uh, a lot of talent and a lot of potential down in the uh, uh like the U23s. We've you know we've seen some of them get pulled up uh, to be used every now and again. So I'm I, I do think that there is the potential to have a little bit more like um, what's his name, uh, Alice uh, Ajibola Alisi I think is is one that has shown um you know a, a, a lot of potential down there Harrison Ashby uh more of a midfielder uh but you know I think there is there is always going to be some some potential coming out of the academy but I think we do need proven uh players that uh can slot in on on match day if for some reason another one of these players goes you know down with covid or something right uh but I I like I like the uh I like the lineup though, man. Like, you know, Cresswell, Ogbana, Balbuena. I mean, that's, that, they've shown this season, man. That's, that's a fucking tight group. I think that's a, that's a hard back line to penetrate. Um, other than with a little fancy ticky talk, you know, ticky talk. I think that's where we've, um, let in those late goals, you know, a la, um, uh,
0: Liverpool and, uh, and, um, Arsenal. So moving on to the midfield here, um, And obviously, the midfield, we're going to kind of do this in two ways. We'll do the defensive midfielders and then the attacking midfielders, and we're going to lump the forwards in with the attacking midfielders because that's kind of the system we're playing. So when we look at the defensive midfielders, obviously the partnership for the majority of the year has been Thomas Suchek and Declan Rice. And when you look at the cover there, you have Mark Noble. You could technically put a guy like Robert Snodgrass in that role, although He's more forward thinking, which is a little scary. Um, and a player that we haven't seen come on yet that I know has made, um, he's, he's flirted with the bench a couple of times from things I've heard is Connor Coventry. Yeah. And so when you're looking at these guys, I'm going to tell you the truth. Here, I think we excel, but we don't have the depth that I think we need. Um, I I really like Mark Noble as a a replacement for either one of our uh, starters in Suchek and Rice, but outside of those three guys, it's a pretty significant talent drop. I really like our high end. So this is an area where I would say we excel. I think we're very good here, but I, I also believe that we probably need to find a little bit more cover. I don't think we're as good on the depth side here as I would like us to be. What are your thoughts?
1: I agree, because I think a lot of our other midfield potential that we have, as you said with Robert Snodgrass, uh, a lot of those midfielders are a lot more attacking-minded than to sit down to really protect in that double pivot that we see that Rice and Suchek can do. Uh, and I think while playing a back three, it's absolutely instrumental to have that, that double pivot to help protect the center backs, because what what can easily happen is if, you're, if your left and right center back get dragged too far out, to the wings, you know, to try to provide additional cover for the wing backs. That's going to isolate your 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 single center back uh, in the middle there. So I, I think it's incredibly important for us to be able to to have somebody else that can slot in either alongside Suchek or alongside Rice that we do not have a significant drop off in talent.
0: Well, I I think uh, I think again I think we're on the same page. Surprisingly enough, my God, we must have been drinking the same thing. But whoop whoop. Now we're going to look at the forward-thinking players. The players are getting forward. Obviously, Mikel Antonio leads that list. You have Andy Armalenko, uh, the new boy Ben Arama, Jared Bowen, the former new boy. You have Sebastian Allaire. Um, you have Manuel Lanzini. You have Robert Snodgrass again it'd be mentioned in this because he's kind of a swing player for us. Um, is there anybody I left out that that can still get forward? Like Pablo Fornals, there's another one I left out. You said um, Bowen, Ben Arama? Yeah, I got Bowen and Benarama. So when you're looking at, at going forward, this is what I'm going to say about this. This is all potential, Liam. It's all potential what we have going forward. We have a lot of unproven players with a very high ceiling, and they're going to have to reach, and they're going to have to rise to what we think they can be. But I like what we have, and here's the best part of it, Liam. They're all young. You know, outside of Yarmolenko and Snodgrass, they're all relatively pretty young. Yeah, And so I, I we've got three or four years with this group to get them going and really get them to work together. So I will say it's not our best area of the field. I think that's clearly our defensive midfield area is the best part of our team. But going forward clearly has the most potential to be the most dangerous part of our team.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's important to keep in consideration because this is going to be uh, – Hopefully something that we could continue to build on season after season. So, I mean, if we can crack that top 10 this season, there's no reason we can't go for European placement the season after that and then try to break into that top six consistently season after season, you know, above and beyond that. As long as, one, Moyes' game plan continues to work or whatever manager that comes in to replace him can continue to utilize a game plan that plays to the strengths of of the squad that we have. And two, the board will invest if they do not loosen those purse strings and they do not give uh, the manager the funds that they need to be able to strengthen the squad in the positions of note, IE, you know, your, your center striker, then, you know, we're doomed for failure or at least doomed for relegation battles season after season.
0: And there you have it. That is our view of our squad or right now, our 11 and kind of looking at it, um, so um, we're gonna. This is the last thing we're gonna do here because this is the interesting part. After going through the squad, there, Liam, I'm gonna. We're gonna put out a hit list. What are the three players that you are willing to sell? And you don't necessarily need to tell me exactly who. Although if you have a name in mind, obviously the listeners love that. But who are the players that you would not mind seeing go? That might, that might not mean you don't love them, but. You you you're okay if we make the decision to sell that player. And where would you like to see the board? Who I mean, I have an immense amount of faith in to do the right thing. Where would you like to see them bring in cover?
1: Uh, you know, for me right now, uh, and I think I think uh, going into this season, everybody was talking about that we needed strength at right back and left back. Uh, now that Aaron Cresswell is man on fire, I don't think that we need somebody to replace him because I think that Ben Johnson is a very serviceable backup. I think he's still young. I think he's not quite proven himself to – uh, to really compete for that starting position, uh, but I think that he is, uh, you know, like we've said before, a ser- serviceable backup. With Soufal, that absolutely added the additional strength we needed on that right-hand side, especially in a right wing-back position. I think with Ryan Fredericks being a little bit more injury-prone, it's nice to have somebody that can be a consistent starter, and it doesn't feel like the person that is starting is just the backup. If anything, I think Sufal and Fredericks absolutely battle for that position, and I think that only makes them both stronger right now. I think the biggest biggest Positions that we need Are along that spine I think we need Another center back That is a strong Powerful center back Like Angel Ogbana, Because I think That it's important To have Like for like Replacement for him I think Diop Did a serviceable job But I think Diop Is more of a battle With Balbuena As opposed with Agbana. And then I think We need a striker man Like I think At the end of the day We all know As we discussed earlier In the show today That Alaire is just Not the man That we need him to be And Mikel Antonio for all of the the guts and glory that he brings to the pitch, is still very susceptible to injury. So we need we need a a good amount of backup. I'd say we need at least two. I'd actually like a third striker um, as well behind Mikel Antonio. You know, and for me, I would happily sell uh, Yarmo. Uh, I would recall uh, Anderson from his uh, portal loan and I would sell him and I would sell Alaire. I think those three guys, none of the three of them really fit into this system. I don't think that they bring anything of note uh, to that starting eleven. And I think that you can use the vast amount of funds that you could potentially get for these guys and be able to invest in, uh, strikers that get the job done. I mean, I hate Callum Wilson. I think he's kind of a dickbag, but he he scores the goals. He finds the back of the net. You know, you look at uh Danny Ings. You and I had boners all over him last season. I'd love to bring in somebody like Danny Ings and allow him to be able to thrive in that uh that lone center striker position. I think that he plays a very similar game to Mikhail Antonio. There is talent to be to be had, to be utilized. Josh King would be another name that I think you, you could put on that list. Uh, but I think you need to you need to sell some of these players that are collecting too heavy of a paycheck and are not having enough of an impact on the pitch. Your bench should not be making more money than your
0: starting 11. Oh, well said. Well said. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. The only area that I really think we need cover in, and I don't think we need cover in center back. I like what we've done. I like Craig Dawson uh, because we didn't bring him in to be a starter, I think he's a great player to have that can come in for one game and give a shift over a consistent amount of time. If he had to do a run of games, no, I would not. I would not be happy. I like what we have at center back. I honestly do, and I think we're fine there. Um, the one area is we need cover. We need another person to cover that double pivot because Mark Noble is not enough. Um, as injury prone as we are, it's only a matter of time until Suchek and rice are injured at the same time. And then we don't have those players in the double pivot. So what I would like to see happen is us to bring in another player, not necessarily to challenge for starting spot, but to be a guy that can come in and that's a box to box midfielder, kind of like a Kuyate that can kind of back up Suchek because you have noble to back up rice. So I, that's where I think we need, uh, the the cover. I I I think we're fine in the defensive, and I think we're fine going forward because we have so much potential. I I don't want to bring in another person and cloud that up. Um, I absolutely want to see uh, us what we can do going forward. Um, but I do agree. If the next position that I would go for after getting that double pivot would be a striker. And I think you're 100% right, and I think it's been very vastly proven that when Mikael Antonio is out, we tend to struggle to score goals. And so we need a player in there that's a like-for-like replacement, like, i.e., a Josh King. That's a great shout. And I think, uh, to me right now, he's the only person that I would even consider bringing in at striker. And the reason why he's proven in the Premier League, he scores a goal about one every 300 minutes, which is perfect for us because we don't need to rely on him. But he can come into a game and do a shift. Now, as far as my hit list goes, two of the players are the exact same: Yarmolenko and Alair, for the for the same points that you've already outlined. So I don't need to say it. Now, this is the one that's going to shock you. Okay, the other player that I am selling is Manuel Lanzini. If you're Ooh. not going to if you're not going to start him then he's a waste. You have Ben Harama. You have four nows. Um, both of those players you're giving, you're going to give more significant time to than Lanzini. Lanzini is a player that some club will overpay for. Yeah, they absolutely will. And you get that money, you turn that money around and you go get a Josh King. You go like, I like the shout for Danny Ings. I do, but Danny Ings is not Mikael Antonio. He doesn't play with that kind of physicality and what Josh King does. So that's why I think Josh King is a better shout. Um, overall, as much as it pains me to say it, because well, let's face it, we all know I haven't made any bones about it, Lanzini is clearly one of my all-time favorite West Ham players. Um, there's, he gets me out of my seat. He's just exciting. I mean, you saw the goal against Tottenham. Um, that's what that guy can bring to the table. He's just, he's magic, you know. And I absolutely love him because um, there ain't nobody like him. So. Um, <laughs> You know, the truth is, as much as it pains me to say it, you know, Felipe Anderson, I don't think we're ever going to get the return in. So I think he, we just have to run him out with the team and just hope for the best, but we can get something for Emmanuel Lanzini. And 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 if you're not going to play him and you're not going to start him, he's going to sit on the bench, go get money for him and let's bring in a striker because right now you've made it very clear you're not going to use him. Right. So, That brings us to the match preview portion of the show. Um, So now, obviously, big game coming up here against Sheffield. Um, Sheffield is a team, again, that we are clearly uh, better than. I don't care what anybody says. Um, Sheffield currently right now is sitting in dead last in the table with one fucking (laughs) point. They are 10 goals adrift. Um, their last game out, they got their asses kicked by Chelsea 4-1. Um, t- they play us this Sunday, 11-22, 6 a.m. out here on the West Coast. Um, there's not much to talk about because we're clearly the better side. So the question really is, um, how much do we win by here? And I'm not trying to be cocky, but I'm going to start believing that this team is going to play to their their potential, and West Ham United should dominate this game. They should win it. So tell me right now, what's your score prediction for this game and who are your goal scores?
1: I mean, fuck it. If the if the rent boys can beat them four to one, like this has got to be like a 6-1 or 6-0 smash-up. Like I think with As long as Antonio is fit and is back on the pitch, I just think there's goals to be fucking had. Like, think about what we were able to do at Fulham those first couple of minutes. And while Fulham is still relegation fodder for me, Sheffield just does not look even a glimmer of the team that they were last season. And I think that now is absolutely the time to capitalize on it. Do not let us be the first win for Sheffield United this season. Uh, I think that this needs to be a 4-0, 5-0 maybe 6-1, something like that. Uh, and I think it's just goals aplenty. I mean, you look at, you know, Antonio, Bowen, Suchek, fuck it, let's have Declan Rice score a goal. He comes off that 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 English England goal, he's absolutely going to be thirsty for the back of the net. Um, for Nals, I mean, I think any of these guys can absolutely uh, put it back there. Uh, it's, it's time for us to really regain that momentum that we had coming out of Wolves and Leicester. Uh, for me, uh, if I'm going to go man of the match, if Antonio's back and he's fit and he's scoring goals, Mikel Antonio, my friend. How about for you, Tex?
0: Um. So I think we're going to get a workman-like two-nil win. That's what I see. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to struggle at times in that game, but I think we will outwork them. I think that the, the David Moyes way is starting to come through where we outwork opponents, and I think that we're going to get two workman-like goals. Um, I think one of them comes off a set piece, and I'm gonna give that to uh, Issa Diop. I think Diop um, is very good in the air, and he's gonna get one. Um, and I think it's gonna be a beautiful heading goal. And then the other one is a player that I'm excited to see, and I thought he looked very dangerous when he came on in this last game. I'm gonna give the other goal to Ben Harama. Oh, I nice. think right. I think I think this Ben Harama kid is is gonna be something exciting. and um i'm I'm really digging him. Um, on what he can bring to the table, and I think he's got the, he's got that flair that we desire as West Ham fans, and I I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Um, as far as man of the match goes, I think it's going to be Declan Rice. I think Declan's going to control that midfield. They have nobody that um, that he can't handle, and so I think he's going to break up play all day. I think we dominate possession in this game, which is going to be very good for us. Um, and I think a big part of that reason will be Declan Rice's presence in the midfield. So that is going to be my goals and Man of the Match. We're both going for wins. Uh, Liam is much more excited, giving us a 6 nil victory with goals aplenty. I'm going to go uh, more conservative, and I'm going to say a workman-like 2 nil performance. So now it's time for our yellow and red cards. Um, Liam, hit me with your yellow.
1: So yellow card, I'm going to go with the pundit bias. Uh, I think the, the, the main talking point coming out of this game wasn't even just the uh, – uh, the terrible Lookman penalty. I think the, the other main talking point was everybody bringing up that uh, Allaire was in an offside position when uh, when the ball was played up top and one of the center backs uh, had tried to head the ball away that obviously Benarama collects and shifts over to uh, to uh, uh, Suchek for the goal. But then nobody wanted to talk about when when we played Liverpool and Sadio Mane was basically in the same position. And even though he didn't directly play the ball, the defenders still have to keep in mind that he's there. The keeper still has to keep in mind that he's there uh, and that they're not fully invested in paying attention to where the ball is going. So I, I think it's it, it still bothers me that this uh, top six bias continues to happen, especially when half of the top six teams are not even close to sitting in the top six. So I think that they need to treat every team the same because this is the Premier league, but I mean, let's be real. It's never going to fucking happen. How about you, man? What's your yellow card?
0: Oh, it's simple. It's Sebastian Hall there. And it's not only for, <laughs> it's not only for the performance, it's the way that you acted after the Ivory coast game, your comments after that game. Um, I it's, I can't prove that you were taking shots at West Ham United, but I think you were. Um, and so, my assumptions have got me in trouble with countless women, so I don't give a shit if it gets me in trouble with you. So, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Sebastian Allaire, you are a player that um I'm gonna give a yellow card to. It's just a caution. It's just a caution, But basically, what I'm saying is quit your shit, start giving effort on the pitch when you get your opportunity. Give David Moyes a reason not to pull you off, and that's what you did not do against Fulham. You did not give us a reason to believe that you are the fifth million striker we thought you were going to be. Hit me with your red card, Liam.
1: My red card goes through the coronavirus because this shit is getting ridiculous. I would say that this Fulham game was absolutely one of those matches that I would have loved to have heard authentic crowd noise, just, not just the shit that's pumped in over the speakers or over the television set. Uh, I, I think that that Lookman penalty miss, uh, it would have been limbs aplenty uh, for that. And I, I'm, it's at that point where I, I legitimately miss. That aspect of the game, I, I love sitting down. I love watching a, a solid football match, uh, but the the excitement level is something completely different this season, and I'm I'm ready to see supporters back in the stands. But I mean, I we got to be safe first, so my red card goes to coronavirus because this shit has gone on for
0: far too long. How about for you, Tex? Well, I mean, first off, your your red card—that's a that's a good shout because I would like to the coronavirus to get sent out of the pitch. I'm not going to lie to you, but my red card goes to surprise, surprise, David fucking Moyes. Why? <laughs> because you were actually going to bring somebody on in the 65th minute, and your punk ass should have told him to kick the ball out so that you could make it happen, and he didn't do it. He let the we didn't get a player on to the 73rd minute. So I, it's just another frustration. Even when you're going to do it right, you still fuck it up, David Moyes. So therefore, my once again, go the fuck home. You look like a draw. I'm sick of your <laughs> sick of yourself. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I just keep doing this because the run of form has been pretty good. So just nobody get too mad. But uh, you know, I, red card, David Moyes, I, right there. That's the player that I'm giving it to. Um, so we're wrapping up the show here and it's our time for our, uh, public service announcement. We just want to let you know that if you're feeling down, feel like you got nobody to talk to, feel like you might make a decision that is, uh, ultimately a very poor choice. Just know that the national suicide prevention hotline here in the United States of America is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is one 800 And if you're listening to this right now, reach out to the Fresno Irons or American Hammers Radio. We are here and would love to provide any assistance in whichever way that we can, because we want you to know that if you're a West Ham fan, even if you're a fan of anything, even if you're a fan of kicking dirt, we're all on your side here and we're all in this together. There's somebody out there that knows exactly how you feel. Want to thank everybody that tuned in and listened to us. All uh, 17 of you, it's been absolutely amazing to uh be that person uh to provide this uh West Ham news for you and uh give us this outlet and you can listen to our stupid ass takes, which are probably ridiculous. Um but real quick, Liam, what do you got?
1: Um real quick, I posted this the other day uh for the UK, because I know we have some some uh pretty solid UK listeners as well, but you can also call one one six one two three, 123 and that's for Samaritans UK. Uh, And they will also help you talk, help to talk you through any of the dark times. Um, But also, as we said, even though we are over here in America, uh, we'd be more than welcome, more than happy to chat with you, whether it's through uh, Twitter or Zoom or Instagram or whatever. Uh, Just reach out to us. We're here to support you, regardless of what side of
0: the pond you're on. Good shout there, Liam. Good shout. We're international. We're an international show. I know. Uh, Uh, obviously, big match this weekend, this Sunday. It's 6 a.m. out here on here on the West Coast. So you East Coasters and you lucky ones over there in England just to get the time, the game times at the normal. I believe it'd be about 2, 2 p.m. your time out there. We want you to know that uh, we're not going to be happy about getting up at 6 a.m., but we're dedicated and we're going to do it. And if you find yourself out here on the West Coast or the left coast, as we call it in the political realm. The best Um, coast. (laughs) I like that shout even more. Uh, And you happen to find yourself in the Central Valley of California, near a little town called Fresno. Why don't you reach out to the Fresno Irons, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and come watch the match with us. We'd love to sing a song, share a pint, Um, We're going to have a good old time this weekend. So thanks to uh, Tim and Lee for providing this platform for us and American Hammers Network. This is American Hammers Radio, and this is Tex. And for Liam, as always, come Come on, you irons. irons.